Dark Crossroads Podcast is brought to you by Problem Wildlife. Problem Wildlife serves Western Massachusetts and has been humanely protecting your house and family from unwanted pests for over 20 years. Take back your space with an animal control service that you can trust. They are family-owned, fully licensed, and are knowledgeable and dependable. To find out more about their services, simply visit their website at www.problemwildliferemoval.com. Again, that's www.problemwildliferemoval.com. And the website will also be included in our show notes. Welcome back to another episode of Dark Crossroads. This is your host, Roxanne Fletcher, and today we're covering a case of a missing person um, who has been missing for a while, and if you're in the true crime world, I'm sure you've heard of this case, Um, but while researching, I could not find a lot on it, so what we cover today is everything that I really could find, Um, but if you have more details, please send them in to us and we can do a follow-up episode. Cynthia Cindy Anderson was born on February 4, 1961. She was raised in a strict Christian home, and religion was extremely important to her. Her family, her boyfriend, and most of her social circle were all devout Christian fundamentalists. In fact, she was planning to attend a Bible college with her boyfriend. Her father um, said that she was very quiet, obedient, She never made waves with either myself nor her mother, and she had lots of friends. She was the type of daughter that you just enjoy. I mean, just a beautiful young girl. In the days and months leading up to her disappearance, Cindy had been having bizarre and frightening dreams in which she was abducted from her home and murdered by a stranger. Now, anyone having these kind of dreams, I'm sure, would be alarmed and would want to talk to somebody about it. So... She ended up talking to her mother about this, and these dreams included a man dragging a woman down a hallway. Both of them are in shadows, and a very recurring one of these dreams is someone would knock on her door, abduct her, and then murder her. When she told her mother about these dreams, though, her mother dismissed them and didn't take them too seriously. Her sister heard her talking about the dreams, and she um, is quoted as saying, One morning while I was getting ready for work, I overheard Cindy talking to my mother. I do believe that the dreams could have been a premonition of fears that Cindy actually had in her subconscious at the time. Then she vanished from her place of work and has never been seen since again. Theories range from her being abducted and murdered by a serial killer to her starting a new life elsewhere. And yet 40 years later, no arrests have been made and no justice has been served. The question lingering is what happened to Cynthia Anderson. On August 4th, 1981, Cindy went to work as usual. Cindy was 20 years old and was working at the time as a legal secretary in Toledo, Ohio. In the morning when she went into work, she usually would be in the office alone. Because of this, she would keep the doors locked at all times. A buzzer had even been installed at her desk so that she could alert the shop next door if there was any trouble. She clearly was aware of her surroundings, and 
in fear of something in, that was going on in her life. She had just put in her two weeks notice at this job and was getting ready to attend the Bible college she wanted to go to with her boyfriend. However, she would never get this chance. At noon on this day at work, two of her co-workers, which were two lawyers that she worked with, Jim and Jay, arrived back at their office after a meeting. The office was empty, the doors were locked, the mail was in the door, and a radio, the lights, and the air conditioner were all on. According to Jim, he is quoted as saying, Jay and I came back from downtown, got to the door, and the lights were on. The door was locked. We unlocked the door, went inside, we yelled for Cindy, and there was no answer. I started to look around out front. Cindy, when she would leave, would place the phones on hold, but this was not done. Jim said that Cindy had left her romance novel open to the only violent scene in the book, where the heroine is abducted at knife point. I just want to chime in here and say this is the second time that I've seen this done in a case, and it's really creepy. The other time it was in, um, I believe it was New Hampshire or Vermont, um, and around this time, too, in the, in the 80s, so... Okay, so Jim was quoted as saying, It wasn't until really looking at the book, particularly reading the passage in the novel, that I had a sickening feeling that something was wrong. It appeared that she had been abducted, despite having all the doors to the office locked and an alarm to alert the store next door. Cindy was never seen again. There was no body, no farewell letter, no hint where she had gone or why she had disappeared. Were Cindy's dreams premonitions of a terrible fate, or were they just coincidence? These are questions that have been left unanswered for 40 plus years. Cindy's family found no reason for her to disappear, especially because she was raised in such a strict religious environment. Cindy's sister had no idea why she might leave on her own. She is quoted as saying, at the time of Cindy's disappearance, there were no circumstances in her life that any of us were aware of that would have caused her to have run away. She was looking forward to quitting her job in two weeks and going to a Bible college that she would attend with her boyfriend. She was so excited about this. Cindy's dad also said he noticed a change in his daughter, daughter's behavior, quoting, Just before she disappeared, however, she was becoming like a debutante. She was spending a lot of time on her face and herself, and she'd skip breakfast for this reason, and that may be part of the problem. He has wondered if his daughter isn't living somewhere with amnesia or some other condition to where she doesn't remember what happened or who she is. He is quoted as also saying, if she herself is out there, we want her to know we love her and we certainly want her to come back, whatever the case may be. The door is open. We certainly want anybody and everybody that can possibly help in the situation to do so. The day that Cindy vanished, the police immediately began a search for clues. During this investigation, police found that the only items missing were Cindy's car keys and purse. According to Toledo Police Detective, there was no evidence of forced entry or struggle in the office. He is quoted as stating, Her car was parked in front of the law office. Her bank account, which had a nice, substantial amount of money, was never touched. Her social security number has never been shown under any other workplace. It's a complete mystery how and why Cindy disappeared. Another client of the law office, Larry, is stated, The day before Cynthia Anderson disappeared, I had been in the law offices to pay off legal fees. 
She got a phone call. She kind of reacted like maybe it was obscene or something and hung up really quick. And the look on her face, still, I can picture it to this day. She was scared. She was honestly and sincerely scared. It gives me shivers to think that the look on her face. I went, I went home and I called the police department and asked them to do a drive-by and check on her. Something scared the hell out of her, in my opinion. It, it stands out here that he was so concerned about her and the look on her face that he went home to his family and called the police to check on her to make sure that she was okay. That's how concerned he was about this. Based on the fact that no calls were answered by her after 10 a.m., it is believed that she was abducted around this time. Foul play is suspected in her disappearance, and she has never been found. In September 1981, a month after Cindy vanished, another strange phone call gave police a new lead. According to the detective, a woman called to report that Cindy was being held in a basement of a White House. This report reads, She said that she was scared and she was talking in low whispers. She kept saying she had to go. I kept begging her to stay on the line, give me more information, give me an exact address, something that we could act on. A short while later, she again called. The lady mentioned that there were two houses side by side owned by the same family and that the family was out of town. But their son was home and he was the party that was holding Cindy in the basement. We did check the street after street on the north end to see if we could find two houses side by side. There's many, but you can find you can't find any positive positive location to the house. Another lead that police had was about an unidentified man writing "I love you, Cindy" with a dash and then by GW on a wall near the office. Cindy had first noticed it ten months before her disappearance. It had been visible for six months before it was covered up. She was disturbed when, just a few weeks later, it reappeared. Police were uncertain if it had anything to do with her or her disappearance. They questioned several people with the initials GW, including a maintenance man who happened to have keys to the office that she worked in. However, there was no evidence that could directly tie him to her disappearance. In my head, while um, going over this, I instantly was thinking maybe that could have been of contributing to her nightmares and her dreams because clearly she was thinking she had a stalker or something and she was scared of what they might do the person who wrote this message has since been identified and is not believed to have any connection with this case i'm just going to add here that it does not say who it was they did not release that and they do not state why they think that he is not connected to the case but that is all that was said in november of 1995 a federal grand jury handed down a 25 count indictment of nine individuals and charged them with involvement in a large drug distribution ring in toledo two of those indicted were cindy's employer richard and his friend jose Jose was allegedly the ringleader of the drug ring that Richard, her employer, was also involved in. The same month, police announced that they believed that Cindy had been killed by Richard because she overheard conversations between him and Jose about their operation. While Jose was on trial for the drug charges, a witness testified that he had confessed to killing Cindy. He allegedly did so to send a message to Richard because he did not adequately represent him at his previous trial. However, police could not confirm this confession, and this case officially remains unsolved. 
Both Richard and Jose are currently serving prison sentences for drug trafficking and remain suspects in this case. Cindy's mother unfortunately passed away on February 1st of 1983. And following her passing, her father passed away on January 2nd of 2008. They sadly never got closure for their daughter and justice before their passing. Cindy is described as a white female with brown eyes and short, tight, curly brown hair. Her date of birth is February 4th, 1961. She was last seen on August 4th, 1881. She is 5'4", um, around 150 pounds. Her marital status is single, and she has two scars, a fish hook shaped one on the inside of her right knee and a chicken pox scar on her forehead. She was last seen in Toledo, Ohio, and she was working as a legal secretary. If you have any information about this case or anything regarding Cindy, you can contact Crime Stoppers anonymously at crimestoppers.com or you can contact the police station at Toledo, Ohio. All right, guys, thank you for hanging out again today. Um, I'm really hoping to get some light on this case. So if you could share as much as possible, that would be awesome. And also, don't forget to rate, review, like, subscribe, follow, wherever you're listening to this and on social media. And you can also find us at our website at www.darkcrossroadspodcast.com. And also, I am looking for some more submissions for our um, Creepy Corner episode. So if you have any scary stories, true crime stories, or anything that you want read on the podcast, please email that to darkcrossroadspodcast at gmail.com. And I just wanted to let you guys know that we got rid of Patreon and we're now doing a, a very similar thing to Patreon, but in Buzzsprout. And I will have that posted on Facebook and our website. So with that said, thank you guys for hanging out today. Don't forget to be weird, stay different, and don't trust anyone. And with that, I will see you guys next time. Hey, Cara, have you listened to the latest episode of our podcast, I Utterly Can't? Of course I did. I have to say, it was utterly amazing. I see what you did there. <laughs> but seriously, I think we're getting better at this. We might just become the next MFM. Uh, perhaps. We definitely are just two ladies sharing our thoughts on true crime and paranormal stories. True, but I think we should start thinking about merchandising. We could sell murderino t-shirts and mugs. Uh, Jen, we can't do that. Why? Um, we don't need to be sued for copyright. We want to cover true crime stories and paranormal stories, not become a story. Uh, how, about, how about ones that say, yeah, I'm going to ghost this way. That's utterly terrific. You did it again. <laughs> I did. Puns. It's what's for dinner. So if you've got a punny appetite for true crime and paranormal stories and a little bit of other weird things mixed in. Tune into our podcast. I utterly can't. Where we talk about things that make us say. I I utterly utterly can't. can't. (laughs) We'll never be good at that. No, but we'll still try. Yeah.